G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Uh, this is another of those strange hybrid episodes. We will be reviewing some of round 10, reviewing some of round 11 and previewing the remainder of round 11. As I say, a very good evening to my Footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? Oh, well, I think we are adhering to the message from Gil McLaughlin to the 18 clubs. We too are being flexible and agile. Is that what he wanted the clubs to be, Rowan? He wants lots of flexibility and lots of agility. And I think all of us, players, coaches and spectators, particularly doing it tough on the couch here in Melbourne and, of course, plenty of games, fortunately, in other parts of the country, uh, they're certainly having their schedules knocked around. But uh, look, we've seen some pretty decent games, haven't we, thus far? Well, I've got to say, we were treated to a Saturday night special. I thought both games were extremely watchable, really good Saturday night football, and some other great games besides. So, you know, one thing I'm starting to get a sense of, that if you want to win a premiership, you're going to have to be an attacking, scoring, positive football team. I think sort of the white hats are winning out over the black hats. And uh, isn't that good to see? There couldn't be too many people that wouldn't be very, very pleased uh, with that development. I'll tell you uh, something else I love, Finey, and that is a flexible and agile hamburger. I don't know what that means, but if it means a great hamburger, an Aussie hamburger, a hamburger 81 years young, and I mean fresh as a daisy, but they've been going for 81 bloody years. How good's that? then get the absolutely iconic Aussie burger, the award winner from 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews Hamburgers. Pure Aussie beef, that beading tomato and lettuce as Rowan Connolly has eulogised over previously, and the buns that Rowan loves. Beautiful slice of cheese, bacon if required, pineapple for those with a Hawaiian bent, but whichever way you take it, Aussie burger to a band. I'm talking about Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Now, I'll tell you, I know you think I just uh, used that totally inappropriate analogy there about flexible and agile, but oh, no, you're wrong. They are flexible because you can get a variety of ingredients in your Andrews Hamburgers uh, made to fit your individual taste. And agile, yes, they are agile because they are so goddamn fresh that when you unwrap them, the burger all but leaps into your mouth. It is that eager to be eaten by you in its freshness. So did I explain that well? Yeah, I reckon a burger leaping into your mouth would be quite the sight, Rowan. <laughs> a fair target to go for, though. Well, I, I think plenty of people would uh, be very keen to help uh, shove the burger in my mouth <laughs> and perhaps choke on it after that. I'll tell you what else I demand flexibility and agility with, Finey, and that is my home renovations. Well, you couldn't go better if you're in a southeastern suburb landowner looking to either build a house, renovate a house, or do a complete makeover. Then West Point Properties, located in the inner southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, around Middle Park, Albert Park South, Melbourne, Port Melbourne, down through Brighton, St Kilda, into Elstonwick, there, you people. Nick Spartels, and I can tell you, put a couple of pretty good footballers on the tools as well, Rowan. Oh, who's who have they? Who's Nick picked up in the uh, the building draft? It is the building draft. A couple of uh, future property developers in brothers-in-law. Oh, I didn't know they were brothers-in-law until Nick told me. Uh, Matthew Goose Maguire and Luke Ball. Uh, I did actually know that, in fact, um, because. Uh... Uh, the um, Matt McGuire, gee, I draw, draw that out. The Matt McGuire's uh, wife actually works uh, for the um, AFL Media Association, organising 
our big gala dinner every year, Sophie. So uh, a big uh, hello to her and, of course, uh, Luke's mum, Jenny, also a mainstay. That's, uh, and, of course, Luke's dad, Ray, uh, the former South Melbourne strongman. Um, all right. Uh, I reckon we waste no time finding. We've got a lot of reviewing and previewing to do. We've got seven games to review, four to preview. Let's do it right now. On Footyology, wrap around. All right. Well, the first game on the agenda for this episode is the first league of a Thursday night double header and a uh, low scoring game, but still a cracking contest and an exciting finish decided in pretty spectacular style. And it was the Pies emerging victorious. Inaccurate, but victorious nonetheless. Six goals, 14 50 defeating a plucky Sydney who ended up nine points adrift of that on 6-5-41. Uh, all single goal kickers for the Pies. Um, some real highlights in there, of course, uh, including the match winner, but uh, also a goal to debutante Trey Rusko. Rusko um, a multiple goal kicker for Sydney, Jackson Thurlow kicking two. Their debutante, Wicks, also kicked a goal in very quick succession from Rusko's goal. So good night for the debutantes. But this is a really entertaining game, despite its uh, low scores. Uh, Finding neck and neck, these two sides, for most of it. And uh, some incredible statistical anomalies, too. I mean, the Pies at one stage, one goal, 10, just before half time. Uh, absolutely dominant. They had 15 of the first 16 inside 50s in this game. And at one stage where the inside 50 count 30 to 11, yet incredibly trailed the game by 14 points. Dare say you don't see that one too often, do you? No, it was a... Uh, uh, look, I know they were very inaccurate, Colin, but I think their indirect route to goals often leads to their inaccuracy. But regardless, when you've got 15 to 1 inside 50s and you're trailing, you are on the back of a statistical anomaly like no other. So... The fact is that that game continued to sort of play it in that way a bit, didn't it? Where it was all thrust by Collingwood and response by Sydney, who were pretty plucky. Back, you know, how did it play out, right? Well, I mean, it was um, it was anyone's game, really, wasn't it? But decided by uh, a piece of Dacosian magic, uh, except the year was 2020, not uh, 1990. Uh, incredible likeness, too, about the goal. Young Josh kicked from the boundary line, check side from the boundary uh, with the game on the line. It wasn't just that for him, though. He played a terrific game, I thought. Surely that was his best game for the Pies, uh, along with Taylor Adams giving that midfield grunt, as he always does. The uh, vastly improved Braden Maynard, uh, who just continues to impress. Uh, look, a, a win that came at some cost for the Pies, though, finally. Hoskin Elliott injuring his knee. Adam Trelaw, a hamstring, and that uh, bizarre, uh, but uh, quite uh, stomach-turning injury to Isaac Kainor, who had his uh, lower right leg or his shin basically gashed completely open by, we believe, the stops on the boots of uh, Sydney debutante Wicks. So it's come at a price, and they cannot take a trick on the injury front. I've got to say, you know, look, as good as they are at their best, I just don't see how they're going to issue much of a flag challenge the way their luck's running on the injury front. Yeah, you know, they're sort of watching the clock tick, trying to get Pendlebury back in the team. Now they're going to have to be without Trelaw. It does seem as though, in the finish, uh, they're going to be hamstrung by hamstrings and a variety of other injuries and not be able to field that best possible team or at least something approximating it will cost them a genuine shot at the flag this year. For the Sydney Swans, there's some cause for optimism amid another season where injury... Look, I mean, let's be honest, that team now for over two years has been almost in in, in a hiatus mode, a stasis almost, waiting for a bus that may never arrive, and that is Buddy Franklin. It, it has become now... Uh, weight that's cost them a couple of seasons of football because their forward line really doesn't click without him. Yeah, good to have Sam Reid back, no question about that. Tom Papley starting to fizzle out a little bit 
as a goal scoring forward as he becomes rightly scrutinised for staging for too many free kicks. And I guess without Buddy Franklin, they just don't have the sort of target to build a winning score around. So six goals in a game of football, not enough. And certainly that Dacossian finish you spoke about was absolute manner from heaven for article writers and journalists looking for a full stop on what was an enthralling but pretty turgid game of football. They were able to get the old typewriter going with Dacos turns the clock back. And thereafter, I guess, writing the summary was pretty easy. Just a quick one on the Swans. Uh, You'd have to conclude, wouldn't you, that the pressure of having to carry the goal-kicking burden is starting to tell on Tom Papley a bit. Uh, Yeah, that's what it looks like, doesn't it? Getting caught up in the staging controversies and uh, starting to have his goal tally stymied by some pretty effective defence. But, look, I I think they've soldiered on. At worst, they've soldiered on pretty admirably and not without some big pluses too. One guy who continues to impress me, and he did even last year, actually, is James Rowbottom. I think he's a real find for them. You like him? Yeah, he'll he'll be a 150-plus game player in a midfield that is looking for any possible inclusion. So he's definitely one to tick for a permanent spot. And uh, in the finish, a pretty good win for the Pies by 9 points, 6-14-50, beating the Swans 6-5-41. Okay, we had two games happening on Thursday night. That was the first. Let's talk about the second. Well, this was certainly the more entertaining of the two Thursday night games. Really enjoyable to watch. Two positive sides, both trying to score and attack. Um, and neck and neck, basically, the entire game. In the end, a very narrow four-point win to the Saints. And, uh, boy, are they developing a habit of close games against the Suns. In fact, I think it's four of their last five games against the Suns now decided by a total of 11 points. That is West Coast, Sydney, mid noughties areas, isn't it? Uh, a really tight struggle. Saints ending up the prevailing. Only, the only difference being it's all gone one way. St Kilda's been able to win all of them. True, true. Uh, and the Saints winning this one 12-6-78, defeating the Suns 11-8-74. For the victors, no doubt about who the match winner was in this game. Fantastic game again, and he's proving a valuable indeed acquisition. I speak of Dan Butler, who finished with four goals, two goals to Josh Battle, who I'm liking the look of more and more. He's got a really good, strong pair of hands uh, wherever he's used. Two goals to Jack Steele, always rarely less than serviceable for the Saints. Singles the rest. For the Suns, two goals to Ben King, Max's brother, who uh, won the uh, the, uh, I was trying to think of a snappy pun and I couldn't. Won the uh, contest of Kings. Three goals to him, two goals to Miller, two to Powell and two to the always spectacular Isaac Rankin. But uh, great game to watch, Fanny. Did you enjoy it or were you too nervous? Oh, no. I, really, I actually, halfway through that last quarter, as much as I'm desperately wanting my Saints to win, I was thinking, you know what, there's no fame in losing to a team that plays and has played so spectacularly as Gold Coast has because they really had to call on some individual brilliance on a number of occasions. Rankin's magnificent mark over Steele. Rankin's great goal thereafter when he intercepted a handball from Dougal Howard and put the afterburners on. Sean Lemon's magnificent smother and goal in the third quarter. And Rankin's audacious, um, uh, may I say precocious without Lacocious. And bloody hell, Lacocious played well as well. I'm glad I remembered him via the word precocious, uh, that last goal that gave Gold Coast one final sniff at winning the game. I mean, it was full of spectacular individual efforts by Gold Coast and also great one percenters and sacrificial team efforts by the Gold Coast. Look, for St Kilda, having lost the centre clearances, having lost the stoppages, having, having lost the basic hard ball numbers in that game, that normally against Gold Coast absolutely guarantees a loss. But St Kilda crafted a way. They found a way to win. Once again, the butler did it. Hunter Clark, brilliant in the last 20 minutes. So composed, so steady, getting St Kilda out of trouble in the back line and heavy traffic on a couple of occasions. And Keane 
watchers of the game, especially St Kilda fans, will also note that Hunter Clark, after Rankin had kicked that goal, that all-important centre clearance, was won by a tap-out. And Hunter Clark, under extreme pressure, getting a handball to Brad Hill, whose resultant kick landed in the hands of Max King. Yes, Brad. Well, two uh, critical moments engineered by Clark, and both in that last quarter, obviously, but both uh, really you know, badly hemmed in in the back pocket and uh, it didn't look like the ball was coming out. And both times, just with a bit of cool-headedness, it was able to somehow weave a way through. And it was the second one of those bits of play that led to the... Uh, I guess the, the match-winning goal from Butler uh, when he burnt off uh, Lockie Weller. And a great effort too, I should say, from Paddy Ryder just to bend down and pick that ball up for a man of his size. But uh, Clark's coolness in the, uh, in the clutch situation, I thought, really, really stood out. I'll tell you the other thing that stood out for me, Finey. Yes. I did hear someone else talk about this, but St Kilda's evenness. And we've, we've singled out their recruits from other clubs. But there's an evenness across the board of this side. And I think the stats probably bore that out in this win too. And that is that the possession tally for either side almost level. And yet it was uh, four of the top six possession getters on the ground were Gold Coast players. So I think Gold Coast uh, contributions seem to be more heavily stacked towards the major ball winners. I think uh, St Kilda are getting a really good effort across the board, even from some of the uh, less sung players in that lineup, And that's really helping them. And that's also a credit to their coaching. Rowan, St Kilda fans and, and real keen fans of St Kilda history will note that even the best of St Kilda teams dropped off the, the last four or five players. You have a look at the team that played uh, in those two grand finals against Collingwood. And look, I don't want to necessarily but you know Robert Eddy played in both of those games and there were a couple of other players that certainly uh, at the bottom end of the 22 weren't quite up to their equivalents in the Collingwood side you go right back into 1997 you have a look at that grand final team for St Kilda and you'll note that Brett Cook played you'll note that Robert Neal played in that team and a couple of others again at the bottom end of the 22 I'm telling you even 1966 had players <laughs> that really didn't match the top end of the team. Guys like um, Bingley and, and, you know, when you're playing a premiership team, you don't like being singled out. But there were players in that team nowhere near the top end. But this St Kilda team is one of the first that I have ever seen that has depth and an evenness and certainly a bottom five that is not easily identifiable. So it's a really good pickup and an important point as St Kilda what will be under extreme pressure in the next few weeks, try to hold its spot in the top four? Well, they've certainly uh, set up a great foundation for a, a really strong assault on uh, on September. Third on the ladder as we speak. Yep. And uh, seven wins. So, gee, they're, they're, they're not far away. They get closer and closer. And, of course, 2011, the last time they played in finals. So, I think a lot of people certainly wishing them well on that score as they do the Gold Coast, because whatever happens with them for the rest of this year, you have to say they are a more resilient outfit than we have seen in the past. And some of the senior players really helping that as well as some I'll, of the young guns. I'll tell you this, one: If I was forced to answer this question, if somebody said to me, you know, answer this question by punishment of death, would Gold Coast be in the eight now had Matt Rowell not got injured? My answer would be a yes. I actually believe close games like the one they lost to St Kilda would have been won and just balance, the balance would be tipped in their favour had that young man not suffered that unfortunate shoulder injury. So he'll be back next year. That gives them off the top in 2021 a, for me, top eight finishing lineup. So they've been a bit unlucky as well. Yeah, well, certainly plenty of pluses out of this 2020 season for both teams. Okay, that was the Thursday night double. Let's move on to Friday. Friday evening saw another thriller, and this one was between Essendon and GWS. It was another pretty 
dour affair, but certainly a gripping conclusion and a great comeback win to the Giants in the end, retrieving a 29-point deficit at one stage uh, shortly before half-time. And running out winners by four points, eight goals, 11-59, defeating Essendon, 8-7-55. For the victors, two goals to Heath Shaw. First two goals he's kicked in a long time. Two goals to Jeremy Cameron, singles the rest. And the only multiple goal kicker for the Bombers, Kyle Langford, with two. Well, Fiony, I think in the end, Probably justice was done. Uh, Essendon played one burst, albeit a pretty devastating burst of footy in which they uh, piled on six goals in about uh, 20-odd minutes in that second term. Um, But for the other three quarters, they didn't look like kicking a goal. So it was an amazing little oasis in a sea of gloom overall as far as their forward line was concerned. GWS, though, dominating all the major statistical categories and certainly dominating play as well in the final term. I think 15 to 3, the inside 50s, and the weight of opportunity was always going to tell. Uh, of course, plenty of controversy in that um, controversial free kick paid to Callan Ward, the Giants veteran, uh, which effectively sealed the win. Adam Saad getting a uh, makeup goal for the Dons, literally on the buzzer. Uh, But, yep, the Giants were the better team. I think they had more uh, poise in the clinches, although they had a bit of problems with accuracy as well. And certainly the better midfield. Uh, And the star players stood up when it counted. Tim Taranto, terrific for them. Stephen Camelio, pretty prominent when he needed to be. Lockie Whitfield, very good. Uh, Heath Shaw, outstanding all night and uh, managing to run off Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who... Isn't having a great season form-wise, not much doubt about that. Kelly, another good contributor for the Giants. And Nick Haynes, as ever, very reliable in defence. For the Bombers, uh, pretty much only one man in the midfield carrying an enormous burden. That was Zach Merritt. Thought he played pretty well. Uh, Gee, the disposal of Essendon's midfield leaves a bit to be desired sometimes. Jordan Ridley, who's having a great season for them, would have to be leading the best and fairest. Poised as usual in defence and his uh, absence from the game at a critical stage of the last quarter with injury was uh, crucial for them. Adam Saad, pretty good coming off halfback. I thought Michael Hurley played one of his better games for uh, a fair time too. So disappointing result for the Bombers, but uh, you can't hope to win too many games with the uh, sort of forward structure they've got at the moment. They just can't buy a grab. Sean McKernan didn't get the job done. Resting big men, uh, resting ruckmen aren't getting the job done. Sam Draper, though, pretty impressive for them in the ruck. One plus for them. Uh, but until they get some key personnel back, and particularly Jake Stringer up forward, Dyson Heppel in the midfield, Joe Danaher, will we ever see him play again for us? And the longer it goes, the more you have your doubts about that. Uh, I think they're destined to miss out on the eight now, despite what was... The responsibility. Encouraging... Um, start to the season. Sorry, Fonny, what was that? Yeah, sorry, I, I just lost you there for a moment. So hopefully uh, that came through all loud and clear. But I was, I was saying that Essendon a little bit disappointing in that last quarter with McDonald Tip and Woody not taking that shot at goal. And I just wonder where his head's at at the moment. Look, we need to talk about that Callum Ward free kick because it was pivotal and it's played out in a pretty unsavoury manner post game with some very nasty tweets, or not tweets, very nasty work on social media, in which Callan Ward actually received a death threat, apparently. So, obviously, some very irate Essendon supporters or football supporters out there. And then again, we shouldn't be surprised what you can see or read on social media. Sometimes it is the last, you know, the Wild West, isn't it? Yeah, look, it, it can be pretty nasty. And uh, I mean, you know, look, whoever is indulging in that sort of crap, they're not supporters of anything, really. They're imbeciles. And of course, they're gutless imbeciles as well. So that goes without saying. But uh, look, you know, I didn't agree with the free kick, but I, I still couldn't help thinking that uh, had that not been paid, 
the Giants still would have somehow conjured a winning score because uh, they just absolutely dominated that last 30 minutes. Look, they're nothing to write home about either at this stage. You look at the talent on that side and think they should be playing better footy than they are. But maybe this is that point of a season where just getting the result really is far more important than how you get the result. You know, with that, you're quite right. The midfield domination was really laid bare, wasn't it? You quite rightly pointed to Taranto, who I thought was probably best on ground. So you've got Taranto, you've got, obviously, Kelly's a class player. Cornelio's a, a very classy player. Josh Kelly, we know, as I said, can use the ball beautifully. Lockie Whitfield ran through the middle and had a very good game of football. And probably the lesser known of the talented forward on ballers is Brent Daniels. And gee, he moves beautifully in traffic, doesn't he? So you've really got a domination there with only Zach Merritt putting his hand up for Essendon going the other way. You've got an Essendon forward line that's pretty dysfunctional. And you've got a forward line, even though no Toby Green, that still boasts the likes of Jeremy Cameron, Finlayson and other dangerous forwards. And yet they only win by one kick. So you're right. There is something not quite right about GWS. And at the moment, they need to get a more consistent four-quarter output from their players if they're to finish in a position that will give them a realistic chance of going one step further than they did last year. Agreed. Uh, however, a win is a win. That's uh, pretty much how they would sum that up. All right, uh, that was the Thursday night, Friday night menu. Let's turn our attention to Saturday. Well, a lot of people calling this a game of the season and uh, certainly the first half, absolutely no question in my mind, the best half of footy I've seen this season. Talking about the Port Adelaide-Richmond game, Saturday twilight, it was a belter. And in the end, a really, really impressive win to the power by 21 points, 13 goals, 15-93, defeating Richmond 11-6-72. For the victors, three goals to Robbie Gray, two to Dixon, and two to Peter Adams, an impressive young ruckman he is. For the Tigers, three goals to Jack Rewalt, two to Jake Arts, and two to Mabior Chole. Well, Port made the running in this game fine. He uh, could have actually been six goals up, but for a couple of gimmies that Charlie Dixon missed. Boy, he was an impressive target up there early. They were getting great value out of Adams the Ruckman. Boy, did it, was that a fantastic goal he kicked to open the scoring. Uh, Zach Butters, terrific around the ball. I thought uh, Carl Amon, pretty impressive for them as well. And Ollie Wines, that bull, he is back to his bullish best. And uh, Mrs. Wines, Jane Wines, will be very pleased to see that. And speaking about veterans, what about Travis Bokes game? 30-plus disposals, a heap of clearances, a heap of tackles. Uh, they are firing in all departments. We wrap up their defence on a weekly basis, finding, and that was great too. But it's all ticking over beautifully for the power. And if there were any doubts about their premiership legitimacy, surely they were put to rest by this win. This was a great game of football. Amazing that there were only 10,000 led into Adelaide Oval. It would have been absolutely packed up the rafters, of course, had there been no restrictions due to COVID. But it sounded like there were 40,000 there, didn't it? It was furious. It was ferocious. Great game of football because, yes, Port Adelaide looked imperious in that first quarter, didn't they? When you consider that Dixon did miss a couple, it could have been anything. It could have been, you know, just name your own margin at quarter time. But to Richmond's credit, they are a very tough nut to crack, aren't they? They work their way back into the game. They work their way back in, not just through Dustin Martin brilliance this time, but through just sort of chipping away at the granite defence of Port Adelaide, which is what it is. Jake Arts, isn't he a good addition to the team? You know, the beauty of Richmond is that two years in a row, adversity has turned into uh, opportunity. And opportunity has been taken by a couple of discoveries. Last year, we saw the emergence of, say, a Sydney stack. And uh, this year, and, and later on, of course, the famous Marley and Pickett. This year, Jake Arts and Mubyog Chol are fantastic benefit recovery re results of a paucity of players earlier in the season. A, a real positive there for the Tigers, Robert. Yeah, and look, there's an efficiency about the way they score too. I mean, at three-quarter time, 
when you probably still would have had your money on the Tigers to win. They were uh, just a point up then, but uh, at three-quarter time, the inside 50s were 36-22, the power's way. So the Tigers doing a lot with uh, whilst conceding all those major categories. I mean, again, at the last change, power had nearly doubled them for clearances. They were leading the contested ball handsomely, the uncontested possession, but had nearly 50 more disposals. I, I still thought Richmond were going to win this at three-quarter time, finally, but a fantastic last quarter by the power. They absolutely dominated. In fact, to the point, the inside 50s in the last quarter, 19-2. Richmond had two inside 50s in the last term, held scoreless. You don't see that happen very often, and uh, a real vindication of their efforts, I thought, and Ken Hinckley very uh, laudatory about how good their pressure was all day. Yeah, how good was Ollie Wines? Yeah, I know you mentioned him earlier, but boy, oh boy, when that ball is rolling, he's a powerful, line-breaking, kicked an important goal, very good footballer, isn't he? They've got him back to his threatening best, Boke, as you mentioned. Uh, Interesting that they played the two Ruckman. It worked well. Do you think they go with that for the rest of the season? Well, if Laddams can, you know, sort of perform a sort of feats, he, I mean, two goals out of a Ruckman is is really important in, in a low-scoring era. And uh, I like him. I, I, gee, I've been liking how he's been playing for the last month. I mean, um, you know, and he'll have games where he gets dominated for hitouts, But increasingly, we've had this discussion a bit, it's what the Ruckman contributes around the ground that really determines the uh, effectiveness of his performance. And I think Waddams contributes plenty. I think he's a, a huge find for them. Yeah, really good. I've got to mention Shy Bolton. Didn't he play well? Hasn't he gone had a from great season? spare parts player to a key on baller? What a, what a step up he's been. Yeah, he's been terrific for them. And uh, look, it's similar to last year in... You know, some key absentees out. They bring in replacement players who fill the void so well. They end up um, becoming, you know, selections and part of the best side. And, and Bolton, you know, to his credit, after being, this is what, his fourth season, uh, has absolutely stood up and, and filled that void and absolutely part of that best 22 now. No doubt about that whatsoever. I must say, I'm not too worried about the Tigers. Uh, they're still my premiership tip. I don't think this was that bad a loss, particularly when, when you consider the amount of areas they were beaten by. Just, beaten in, I agree. Look, I agree. I agree. But just on the numbers, they can't afford a, a week, of, not a week, a game off because you really want to finish in the top four, especially with no finals to be played in Victoria. You do not want to be outside the top four if you're a Victorian team. You want that double chance. And they now put themselves in a position on the numbers to not be able to afford to lose too many more games. Yeah, it's a fair point. And uh, you've got to keep factoring that in the reduced season, don't you? There's actually not that many games left to play with. So you need to make every post a winner from here. But an outstanding game. And I'll tell you what, if those two meet in the final and turn on the sort of standard of, of footy that was both tough, it was a really, really tough game, but still open and still attacking, Everything I think that is good about football in this era was encompassed in that first half. It was just terrific to watch. So let's hope we see more of it in 2020. That was yeah. the first of a Saturday double header. Time now to talk about the second week of that double. Rightio, the second game of the Saturday double header was between Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs. And uh, this is a pretty entertaining game too, Fanny, but the Lions prevailing pretty comfortably in the end by 24 points, 14-12, 96, defeating the Bulldogs, 11-6-72. The goal kickers and one very impressive bag for the Lions coming from none other than Eric Hipwood, who kicked five. It's like 10 in the old days. Archie uh, chipping in with two, two to Bailey and two to McLuggage. For the Bulldogs, uh, Wallace, three goals. He's proved a bit of a revelation as a small defensive forward and two goals to Lloyd, singles the rest. Well, the doggies hung in there for a fair bit, but uh, Brisbane really 
got a jump on them in the second term with six goals to two, four goals to three in the third quarter, and uh, then the doggies clawed a, a couple back in junk time, basically. But pretty emphatic win to the uh, the Lions, and uh, they are shaping up very, very ominously. I would have thought. Yeah, it was a good game. It started off well, the Bulldogs, with Wallace getting sort of off the loose out the back, and uh, you know kicked a couple of nice goals, and they were up and running, but was an interesting, unexpected source to get Brisbane back in the game, wasn't it? With Archie taking that magnificent mark. I mean, he could have had three goals in the first quarter himself. Magnificent mark and goal and uh, another snap from the boundary line. So he proved a real live wire early. Eric Hipwood, one thing about Eric, he doesn't normally get many cheapies. And he did get one little cheapie where the ball was sort of bouncing through the goals and he Put a boot on it just to make a certainty for his first goal. And sometimes that's all the forward needs really to ignite a bit of goal scoring appetite and, and fever. And finally, because these games have been far and few between, Hipwood became the main man, not only on the lead, but on the scoreboard as well. And it really took hold in that second quarter. Lockie Neal, of course, providing drive. Isn't Sorko a great footballer? Powerful, very good, accurate kick. A fantastic captain for the Brisbane Lions. They were getting good service up in the ruck and up forward by the awkward Oscar McInerney, certainly not getting his coloured lowered by Tim English. He had an interesting foil, didn't he, Rowan? Because Matt Eagles has played, he's 30 years old, old hero up there, got into football via a TV reality show. And if you would have asked me whether he was still on the Brisbane list, I would have said no, but he is. And uh, they called on him. He made a bit of a contribution, but not a major one. Is he the, uh, is he the uh, guy, Sebastian, or Shannon Knoll of uh, the AFL scene? How's that? Well, you know, reality shows and, you know, they're both think, stayers. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think Guy Sebastian and Shannon Knoll, even though they're not my type of music or yours, might have made a little bit more of their reality TV entree into the you know, into the commercial market that Matt Eagles has, because that was only Matt's fifth game. So don't know whether the comparisons hold true, but I do know this, that that Brisbane midfield is beautifully balanced. Zorko, Neil, fantastic. Lions, what a good possession winner he is. He kicked a valuable goal as well. McLuggage for a bit of outside class. <clears throat> it just, it ticks along really nicely, that midfield, doesn't it? It does, and uh, for me, that was the key duel, and uh, they won it decisively. And as impressive as they were, I think there are a few alarm bells about the Bulldogs midfield. The stat that really caught my eye out of this game was uh, the doggies' kick-to-handball ratio, because uh, they only had nine more kicks for the game than they had handballs. 159 kicks and 150 handballs. A lot of those handballs ended up being under pressure. It was, a, it was a terrific weapon for them in that 2016 flag. But, geez, I don't know if even four years on, you're able to get away with as much handball as you could even then, such as the pressure being applied by teams in the clinches now. And a lot of it, uh, you know, was to teammates under pressure. A lot of their disposal came under pressure. And absolutely, in terms of the individuals as part of both midfields, it was the Lions who won the day. I thought Neil, Zorko, Lions, probably, you know, three of their best four players. Uh, sure, the Bulldogs always get a heap of possessions through um, Jack McRae, Bontempelli. I mean, actually, Jack McRae, credit where it's due, 40 disposals in a shortened game. I mean, in what was the equivalent of three and a bit quarters of normal time. That, that is phenomenal. I mean, in... You know, adjusted terms, that's a 50-plus disposal game. Bontempelli got 30, so no slouch there. And yet, for those two quality players getting the amount of footy they did, they were still, as a unit, soundly beaten through the midfield. Yeah, Josh Dunkley, a, a, a subdued return to football. Bontempelli actually was thrown forward a bit during the game, and he's a good target up there, but you've only got one Bontempelli, unfortunately. And with Norton... In his first game back, just finding his feet, and Josh Bruce really struggling at his third club. They desperately need 
a pair of targets up front and uh, they turned to Bontempelli, who did take a magnificent mark and kick a sort of important goal, I think, in that second quarter. But all being said and done, he's required in the midfield, isn't he? He is. And uh, it really uh, spreads out these two teams. The Lions sitting in second spot now with eight wins, uh, one win behind Port, but uh, clear of third and fourth. And the Doggies now down to 10th. Um, they've got uh, another three teams on their five wins. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to make the eight finding. I'm not sure if we're going to see a change to the composition of the eight from here on in. They're certainly going to be up against it. Yeah, well, as we pointed out, unfortunately, their form against the better teams has not stood up. So, uh, yeah, they're going to struggle. They really will. All right. Uh, well, a really good win to the Lions. Uh, anyone who had doubts about their capacity to back up after their uh, rapid emergence in 2019, uh, being shown absolutely that they are the real deal. Uh, that was the second game on Saturday night. Time now to talk about what Sunday had to offer. All right, we started out Sunday over in Perth. West Coast taking on Carlton at Optus Stadium. And in the end, a good win to the Eagles by 22 points, 11-6-72, defeating the Blues 7-8-50. Probably a more comfortable win than it looked like they might have uh, for most of the first half. In fact, uh, Carlton, I thought, played by far the more impressive footy in that first half and had a, a lead of just on two goals to show for it at the halftime break. But, uh, boy, were the Eagles sparked into action after the long break and uh, eight goals to two, the result. A game really turned on its head by um, a terrific burst of footy from the Eagles in that third term after, it should be said, Will Setterfield, um, sorry, Zach Fisher kicked his fourth goal of the game. And you thought, gee, they're going to do it again. They're going to pull another surprise win uh, on the road, the Blues, all power to them. But uh, the answer was swift and it was emphatic. Two goals to Kennedy, one goal to uh, Jamie Cripps after uh, he pinned Sam Petrovsky-Seaton in a, uh, a magnificent tackle. And then winning the next set of bounce clearance, Tim Kelly on fire for the Eagles in that uh, period of the game. Jack Darling marking. That was four in 15 minutes. And then Jared Cameron, putting the sealer on the burst, uh, putting the Eagles two goals up by the three-quarter time break. Will Setterfield gave the Blues a bit of a sniff at the start of the last quarter, but uh, closed out in fine style. Dom Sheed was terrific in that... uh, Well, he was terrific all day, but particularly in that last quarter with a couple of crucial goals. And Jake Waterman topping things off for them. I tell you what, Finey, the reason they are such... um, an ominous flag chance for me. You know, their defence is great. Their midfield, when it's firing, is pretty impressive. But that armoury, that firepower up forward, you've got four potential, well, five if you throw Nick Natanui up there as well. You've got Kennedy, you've got Darling, you've got Jake Waterman, you've got Oscar Allen and Natanui, all tools who can kick goals, plus Cripps, plus Liam Ryan. Uh, They've got goals coming or goal sources, left, right and centre. That really is the key, isn't it? That they were behind on the score, were well behind in play in that first half. They don't need to make too many modifications to their game plan. They What they needed to do, of course, was win more ball out of the centre, and that did begin to happen. Tom Sheed, I thought, was fantastic. Not only hitting the scoreboard with a couple of goals, but also providing some good, incisive delivery into the forward line, and Let's be honest, when you kick up to a forward line with that sort of aerial supremacy over most back lines, it is ultimately going to be a bit of a, a damn wall that breaks. And it did break. How good was Zach Fisher for Carlton, though? I mean, you know, this is a kid. We know he's good, elusive little footballer, but it just was sort of a, a day working out where he built in confidence with every single kick that he got. And by the time he put the fourth goal through... He was the best player on the ground and it was great to see him build in stature during the day for a little time. Yeah, he's uh, he's been around a few seasons now, hasn't he? But he's always looked like 
he could be a really uh, a gun player for them. Four goals out of seven. I didn't give the goal kickers. Sorry about that. Fisher, four. And Walsh, Gibbons, Settlefield, the only other Carlton goal kickers. Two yep. each for the Eagles, two. Kennedy, Darling and Sheed. One thing that would definitely be concerning the Blues, uh, obviously coach David Teague, but I think everyone associated with the club would be this alarming trend of them giving up bursts of goals. Now, early in the season, they were getting jumped by sides. Um, more recently, it's be, becoming sides running over the top of them. But, uh, gee, I'd, I'd like to see the stats on how many, goal, how many sort of bags of four or five goals they've given up in quick time in one particular quarter of a game because they seem unable to stem a tide of momentum when the opposition gets one. No, it's a good point. They seem to get separated there in the back line and lose their way a little bit. And unfortunately for Carlton, that has resulted, as you say, in a quick succession of goals to the opposition that they find difficult to stem and uh, their cause not help with Pitnick getting injured, getting injured as well. So, you know, you've got um, Jack Barton, who was a query before the game. So they were down a bit in personnel actually during the game as well. And at that point in time, when you know that Nat Nui provides such regal armchair service to his midfield, the sort of the rock had set in. It was very hard for them to turn it back their way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, the Eagles, uh, I've I got to say, I, I feel like Richmond and West Coast are. Oh, actually, that's not fair now, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's three standout teams at this stage, aren't we? We're sort of. We're searching for a fourth. Uh, Brisbane, probably the most likely candidate. You wouldn't dismiss yep. Geelong. Anyone beyond that you want to throw in? Well, I think the team that's a game and percentage clear of Geelong heading into tomorrow night has to be reckoned, given that they've beaten Port Adelaide and Richmond. No, fair enough. No, fair enough. I Yeah, no. It's Well, they do say perception can often lag behind reality and perhaps that's what the Saints are doing for me. And that's, just... fair, that's fair enough too. We're talking about a team that haven't made the finals since 2011. And no matter what they do in the home and away season, finals are a whole different kettle of fish. And we're talking about some very seasoned teams here in West Coast and Richmond. They're, they're leagues ahead of... Look, even it's going to be a problem for Port Adelaide and Brisbane in a way because we're talking about some very seasoned finals teams there. Although, having said that, you know, if uh, we've rewritten so many rules this season, if ever there's going to be uh, uh, a year that the rule book on winning a flag gets thrown out the window, it will be this one. Fair point. All right. Uh, final game of the Sunday offerings, uh, which, of course, only gives us half of round 11. We're going to preview the rest in a minute. But the final game of the weekend, and it was uh, an emphatic win to Melbourne. They'll be... Uh, buoyed by this. It was a pretty impressive performance, this, over the Kangaroos in Adelaide, ending up the victors in the finish by, uh, gee, what's that, eight goals? No, 57 points, so uh, a massive win, 13-14, 92, defeating the hapless Roos, held to one behind in the final quarter, while the Demons slammed on six goals, six, uh, 5-5-35 to North Melbourne. The goal kickers, and uh, what a spread of goal kickers the Demons had. They've ended up with 11 individual goal kickers. The only multiples, Wiedemann and Fritsch. Uh, and uh, the reverse for the Kangaroos, just two goal kickers. Nick Larkey kicking four of their five. Majak Dor the other. But uh, some really good performance for the Demons today, Finey. Uh, even when they trailed at quarter time, it was 1-4 to 3-2. But they appeared to have the better of play, just couldn't convert properly. They leveled things up by halftime, had a, a bit of a, an advantage come three-quarter time, and then all guns blazing in the last. Tom McDonald, terrific uh, today. Uh, sorry, that was the <laughs> the other McDonald. Petrarca, terrific today for the Demons. <laughs> Angus Brayshaw, bloody McDonald. Uh, Clayton Oliver, good again. Ed Langdon, shiny. Kazai Pickett had some really exciting moments. Jake Lever in defence, and uh, Sam Wiedemann up forward, uh, looking better and more confident by the week as a key target for the Kangaroos. Now I go with McDonald. Luke McDonald, who's played some decent footy in the last few weeks. Four goals to Larky, can't discount that. Uh, Dumont Davies, Uniac. Uh, beyond that, though, a bit of a struggle for the Roos, who they will be bitterly disappointed with that, particularly 
uh, with Max Gorn out of the equation today. Uh, really didn't capitalise on that, even though Todd Goldstein was one of their better players. What did you make of this one? I thought Luke Jackson did really well. Bit of a handful, Luke Jackson, whether he's up forward or in the ruck. And I thought he performed um, more than menacingly. He was very good for Melbourne. Oh, look, an early lead to North Melbourne quickly disappeared. Sam Wiedemann was an excellent target. If his kicking would have matched his marking early on in the game, he could have really had that breakout performance, five or six goals that his career would uh, require at this stage. He's looking good, just waiting for that big bag of goals to give him that extra boost of confidence. Clayton Oliver continued on from last week where he was fantastic. Petrarca, devastating, kicked a great goal. By the way, that goal that Petrarca kicked on the run out of the middle, terrible piece of umpiring, I've got to say. You know, I don't know who the North defender was on the line. All right, we cut a lot of slack for players shepherding goals through, don't we? But we shouldn't allow a player to be pushed two hands in the back out of the spoiling position with an umpire standing two feet away. That is just gutless umpiring. Not gutless. No, what's the word? It is conformist umpiring. Really bad umpiring, that. It's like, yeah, here's a goal, all clear. Great goal. Get with the program, mate. That was very disappointing. But no reason for the loss. It was a great win by Melbourne. Well, just a, a quick one on them. They're uh, up to ninth place uh, with a game in hand now, don't forget. Uh, I wonder if they... Uh, I don't think there'll be changes to the eight, but I wonder if the teams outside the eight, if they are now looking the most likely. Well, they're getting a bit of momentum up, aren't they? That game... When are they going to play that frigging game? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Probably too soon for an Essendon supporter, I'd say, at this stage. It's like they're, they're hoping the football world forgets about it. That game needs to be played. And for the sake of Melbourne and Essendon, both of whom are still definitely a shot to make the eight, it needs to be played in a timely manner. Would you, uh, on, based on current form, would you rate Melbourne's chances of doing anything in the finals more, high, more highly than you would either Collingwood or GWS? No. No, I'm not sure I would either. They, uh, they, they don't convince anyone on the consistency front, I think it's fair to say. All right, uh, there are our reviews and uh, still half of round 11 remaining. So I think it's appropriate, finally, that we do some previews. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, four games to wrap up round 11 and we have a Monday night double header. I didn't think we'd be saying that. Uh, St Kilda takes on Geelong at the Gabba, 6.10 local time. A uh, bit of a throwback this finey, back to the old uh, 2009 days when these two were going hammer and tongs at each other. Of course, two memorable clashes in 2009. The one when they were 13 games undefeated each, classic at uh, under the roof at Docklands, and then a classic grand final as well. I know it's painful memories for you, but uh, good to see these two teams up and about. And let's hope we get a quality of footy to match. How do you see this one unfolding? Yeah, it should be a great game. Geelong have been able to bring back three players that they had um, sort of rested in the match against, pardon me, um, North Melbourne. So they've really sort of been able to strike a pretty... Um, a pretty good balance between resting players and playing players. They did very well. They played Dangerfield, but sort of play him up front. I thought that was pretty clever. So, you know, with the Cats bringing back in Parfit, Collagesny and Rowan, I think they're going to be very well served. St Kilda have rested Zach Jones. First game of Jack Bytel comes in. And Gary Geary has been returned to the Saints. It should be a cracking game of football. I just feel as though... Geelong, yeah, as much as I'd love to say that St Kilda has the edge going into this game, I just think that great game between Geelong and West Coast, Geelong handled North Melbourne pretty comfortably. And the Saints against Gold Coast, St Kilda lost their sort of midfield advantage that they had built up over the previous weeks. And I don't know, there's just four wins in a row. Is there a loss around the corner for the Saints? Maybe. I'm tipping Geelong in this one. Only because on paper, at least, Sons, Gary Ablett, this is their strongest lineup. I think they're well served with Reece Stanley in the ruck. Jack Stephen gets to play against his old team. And I just think Geelong are well placed coming into this game. 
A couple of uh, mouth-watering duels looming too at either end of the ground. You've got uh, Hawkins and, and Radagawea for the Cats up forward, taking on uh, Carlisle and Dougal Howard, who's doing particularly well. And at the other end, of course, uh, young Max King and Tim Membry up against uh, Harry Taylor and Tom Stewart. Looking forward to that. And uh, I guess the issue of Dangerfield, uh, how much he'll be used in the midfield, how much up forward. and I presume in his midfield spells, Jack Steele might be the uh, likely opponent for him. Yeah, yeah, you think uh, physically that is the right matchup? Well, it's going to be a ripper this one. I'm really looking forward to it. I too am going for the Cats by a whisker, um, by six points, as a matter of fact, Geelong for both of us in that one. All right, the second week of the Monday Night Double, and it is uh, 6.40 local time at Optus Stadium in Perth. Of course, 8.40 Eastern Standard Time. It is Fremantle taking on Hawthorne. This one's pretty interesting too, because the Dockers, after starting 0-4, they've won three of their last five now and starting to uh, really build something. And their last win against Collingwood, uh, a real gutsy effort. That a very, very impressive win. Of course, the Hawks are very up and down, but uh, their last outing produced their best football in a long, long time. That spectacular 10-goal turnaround against Carlton over in Perth. Uh, they've had some good victories over there too in the past. Of course, uh, most memorably against the Dockers, a preliminary final back in 2015. Uh, the personnel has changed considerably since then. Uh, I'm having trouble finding a winner here because I really rate Fremantle. They've been nothing less than competitive all season. Uh, some potential returns too. Jesse Hogan, Stephen Hill, James Aish may all come back into the team. Uh, the Hawks have lost Sean Burgoyne too with that hamstring injury or like, likely to not have him in the lineup. I'm going to go with experience here, finally. I just think that uh, that second half burst for the Hawks against the Blues uh, looked like they might have turned the corner in terms of form. I reckon they're good enough to win, even away in Perth. I'm going for Hawthorne to win this one. Yeah, for, for the uh, Dockers, they welcome back Aish and Hill, and they lose Brandon Matera, and uh, youngster Watson has been omitted. And as you say, Burgoyne out and Connor Nash in for the first game for the season for him. Again, a difficult game to pick. I think you've... Uh, very good summary there, a preview. In terms of Hawthorne getting their mojo, a lot of it dependent and resultant on the return to the forward line of Luke Bruce teaming up again with um, Jack Gunston. It's the old combination, but it works well for them. Fremantle and sort of a bit of a coming of age for Caleb Sarong, who was universally uh, voted best on ground in his breakout performance. He looks like a very promising young docker. Hard game to tip a winner in. I'm going to go for the home team, Fremantle. I think that they've been nothing if not game. And with that home ground advantage, I think game will be good enough to get over the Hawks. All right, so we differ on that one. Let's go to Tuesday evening and 6.05 in Adelaide, 6.35 here in Melbourne. And it is the hapless Crows taking on Collingwood and... Uh, Boy, the story just gets worse and worse for Adelaide. Uh, Ten losses now for this season, 13 in a row. They haven't won a game in over a year now on the calendar. Doesn't get a lot grimmer than that, really. Um, we are staring down the barrel of the first winless season in league footy since Fitzroy in 1964. The Pies, they're doing it tough. Uh, scraped over the line against Sydney. Injury is obviously a huge factor, and they've copped some more too. Adam Trelaw, Isaac Kainor, Will Hoskin Elliott, still no Pendlebury, no Jeremy Howe, of course, or Jordan Dugowie. That's a fair bit of talent to be missing from any side. They're going to find it tough, but they are playing a team that just, uh, well, I, I did say on this very podcast, I think they will win a game. I don't think it'll be this one, though. I think uh, they are really in a, a trough of despair at the moment. And home crowd, and even with Collingwood's uh, long catalogue of injuries, I just can't see how they're going to turn the tables on the Magpies. This one, Collingwood, for me, pretty easily. Yeah, I can't see Adelaide's forward line being able to kick more than six or seven goals on a good, good outing. So... 
you know, Taylor Walker really struggling to get a handle on the ball. He, he had a couple of promising outings about a month ago, but no, nah, he looked terrible against Melbourne and Collingwood should have no problems in scoring more than Adelaide, which is what all this will, this will come down to. Collingwood know that if they can get 10 goals, they're going to win the game. So they just have to think of a more positive way of playing football rather than the conservative creep that sometimes is Collingwood's way. That Collingwood creep is around the boundary. It's not very direct. If they can show a little bit more faith in their forward line presentation, with Ben Reid and Myocek, I think, giving them something to aim for, that 10 goals will be no problems and enough to beat Adelaide. Collingwood. All right, the pies for both of us. And round 11 wraps up on Wednesday evening up at uh, Metricon Stadium, uh, a genuine home game for the Suns, taking on Essendon, 7.10 local time. And, uh, well, the Bombers, you wouldn't say they're hapless, but uh, things turning very nasty after starting the year 4-1. Well, they've now lost three of the last four games against genuine quality teams. And uh, Gold Coast, well, they're, uh, are they a genuine quality team? Well, they certainly performed pretty impressively, even in defeat against the Saints. Uh, boy, it's hard to justify an Essendon win here, but I'm going to do it, Fanny. I reckon uh, they can turn on a little bit longer of a burst than they did against the Giants last Friday night. And however short-lived it was, that was some pretty impressive footy they played. It's getting desperate for them now. They've got to start jagging a few wins. And I think they can do it. Uh, I think they just need to hang a bit tougher in those midfield clinches, conjure some more goals out of that forward setup. I think the defence is going okay. So that might be enough to look after the likes of Ben King for the Suns. Uh, I haven't actually looked at the odds of this game. I suspect that it will be the Suns' starting favourite, but uh, I reckon the Bombers can do it. I thought in form terms, they turned it around for this game after a shocking performance against Brisbane. I think they're good enough to get up. Yeah, look, it's not impossible to tip Essendon in this. I mean, Gold Coast were great to watch against St Kilda, but... A few of their goals were freaky and hard to recreate on a weekly basis. Then again, if you're putting Isaac Rankin down for the impossible, then you can put him down for a couple each week. So maybe whilst it looks as though impossible to recreate, Isaac Rankin seems to have the ability to do it. Ben King will be well matched, no question about it. Essendon's defence has been led this season by an unlikely newcomer in terms of leading the defence. It's not his first season, but Ridley has been magnificent. And if he can provide enough intercept presence to feed the ball to the likes of Saad and McKenna, McKenna played forward a bit last week, by the way, then maybe Essendon can get the run and gun required to win the game. That being said, I'm not going to sell this Gold Coast team short. I think they've been pretty good this season and sometimes they've been very enjoyable to watch. That back line of theirs works well. Lacocious is a good springboard out of defence, very confident in his own ability to hit a target by boot and does so more often than not. They've had a great return, you mentioned, in the summary of the St Kilda Gold Coast game from Toot Miller. Hasn't he improved his kicking? Uh, he was always a good better of the ball, but I now think he's a great distributor of the ball. Interesting to see Jared Witts a very, very tough old campaigner now up against Sam Draper, the new young Tyro for Essendon. He won't be thrown around easily, Wits, but Draper likes throwing his weight around. Looking forward to that clap. I'm going to go for Gold Coast on the basis of more skill in the yellow and red than there is in the black and red. I think that's probably a fair enough tip. I admit uh, I'm probably going for the upset there. Okay, well, that is round... 10 and round 11, both dispensed with. Uh, we will wrap up, sorry, not dispensed with, because we will be wrapping up the rest of round 11 when we speak to you again on Thursday morning. Uh, that'll do us for any quick plug for our sponsors again, please. It's only love we have for our sponsors. Appreciation and also acknowledgement of great products. And I speak of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, 81 years young, the absolute definitive Australian award-winning hamburger put together by experts, eaten by an appreciative and growing audience. And Nick Spartel's West Point Properties doing brilliant things in inner southeast of Melbourne with your property, whether it's a full rebuild, brand new home, 
or just the renovation you've always done. All right, well done. We're grateful for their support. We're grateful for your support. Now, I have been banging on Fiony for a number of weeks now about a big announcement. Well, the day has arrived, but I'm not going to do it here. I'm going to direct everyone to the Footyology website, footyology.com.au, and you will find uh, a glittering galaxy of new talent on the Footyology books. We are expanding. We are going beyond just talking about football now. And we've got some of the best writers, commentators and personalities in the country, Finey, to help us do it. Uh, look, all hyperbole aside, uh, we are really excited about this. It's going to add a whole new dimension to the website and uh, a whole new uh, range of interests for people to read, to listen to, to view. Uh, you can see all the details on the Footyology website today. Check it out. And uh, if you like what we're doing, please head to our Patreon page and become an official Footyology patron. And uh, we really, really appreciate the support we're getting from people both there and on the ACAST uh, Footyology supporter page. So thank you, everyone. Exciting times for us here at Footyology, but we won't forget those who have listened loyally to us now for a good four years. Couldn't have done it without you, everyone. So really mean it. Thanks very much for your support. Am I right, Finey? Absolutely, 100%. I think it's a, a brand that's moving forward, taking huge strides, and we only do that with the undinting support of a great, great following. All right, thanks everyone. Enjoy uh, the what remains of Footy Fest. Uh, hopefully we'll all be in one piece when we get to the end of it. Uh, but we'll be riding every bump with you and we will return on Thursday with the next episode of the Footyology podcast. Until then, we'll see you later.